and welcome to the days that music died. I'm your host Caleb. Welcome back to the days that music died at home sessions. Once again, unfortunately, we are discontinuing our summer sessions Facebook live streams, but we are, as you probably noticed by now, listening to this, uh, continuing the audio format, the podcast format of the show for the remainder of the, of the summer before we can get back to the fall for the semester, which, again, we'll be back in the studio for that, which is exciting stuff. be July 2nd here for you, Thursday, July 2nd, that is, and is another hot and muggy one, um, but it comes with the times, I suppose, <laughs> with everything going on, and then simply with it being July now, but I hope you all are well, and hope you all are safe as well. We've got an exciting show here for you. We're going to go back to what life was like in 1997, which we've been a good amount of times now since the beginning of the show, but we're going to go back into 1997 here in a bit. But first, quick reminder to check out our podcast. As always, uh, right here, you can like us on Facebook at The Days That Music Died, and you can like us on Twitter as well at The Days That Music Died. That's something I'm still trying to get better at. Fingers crossed that I finally do get better at that. Let's go ahead and get our thinking caps on and our time traveling caps on. Let's go back to the year 1997. So, what was life like in 1997? Well, the yearly inflation rate in the U.S. was 2.34%. The year in Dow Jones average was 79.08. Interest rates in the U.S. was 8.5%, an average cost of a new house was roughly $124,000. An average income per year was roughly $37,000. An average monthly rent was about $576. A gallon of gas was about $1.22 or so. The average cost of a new car was $16,900. A loaf of bread was $1.17. A movie ticket was $4.59. And last but not least, a pound of hamburger was $1.38. So those are some statistics for you looking at the life of what life was like, especially in the U.S. in 1997. And then we think about it today in 2020. Obviously, some big things going on now that weren't happening in 19 weren't happening in 1997 um, such as the coronavirus pandemic but there are still events occurring there's still things happening then that can be translated and, and considered today and vice versa as well things are that are happening today that you could relate in some sort of way back to 1997 just maybe in a different context and that goes for a lot of the years that we compare with today in, in 2020. And so in 2020, obviously, the U.S. specifically is going through a little not great times with everything going on with the pandemic, with a lot of things being shut down. Luckily, things are starting to open back up, but there's still that looming threat that things could shut back down again eventually. Just a lot of question marks, a lot of uncertainty surrounding us. And so the financial point of the country is very leery and people are scared with so many things going on and in 1997 you have you have you have that a little bit leeriness but things are fairly decent at the time it really isn't until two 
closer to 2000, and then once 9-11 hits in 01, you really start to sense this change in culture and this change of perspective of everything going on throughout the United States and even the globe as well. The 9-11 was a global event, even though it did affect uh, the United States firsthand. It, it affected everyone at the same time. It really showed countries that certain things such as TSA with air, with airports, that that was something that they everybody heavily needed to um, implement into their system, into their everyday lives, and, and so that was that was a big thing there too. And so, referencing 2020, you have lots of different things going on, specifically with the pandemic. Obviously, life was a lot different in 1997. Yet at the same time, you've got some things that are the same. You've got the world starting to realize that um, United States may not be as safe as everyone thought it would be. And uh, you're, you're starting to kind of feel that as well in 2020. Some big events that happened in 1997. Princess Diana dies in a car crash. NASA Pathfinder lands on Mars in 97. The Deep Blue Chess Playing Computer defeats chess champion Garry Kasparov. Madeleine Albright becomes the first woman Secretary of State in U.S. history. Microsoft becomes the world's most valuable company in 1997 and Mother Teresa dies in Calcutta. The Heaven's Gate cult commits mass suicides in California. Mike Tyson bites Evander Holyfield's ear and is suspended from boxing in 97. O.J. Simpson is found guilty. This whole trial happens in 97 as well. Tiger Woods becomes the youngest golfer to ever win the Masters. Andrew Cunanan commits suicide after murdering four people, including Gianni Versace. WorldCom and MCI Communications becomes the largest merger in history in 1997, and the first book in the Harry Potter series is released as well in 97. For your pop culture in 1997, popular films at the time, Titanic, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Men in Black, Air Force One, Liar Liar, The Fifth Element, Batman and Robin, and The Rainmaker. The Simpsons for TV becomes the longest-running primetime animated series in 97. In 1997, popular music, uh, artists such as Mariah Carey, bands such as Smashing Pumpkins, Foo Fighters, Nine Inch Nails, The Verve, Counting Crows, Lenny Kravitz, Celine Dion, Spice Girls, Radiohead, Garth Brooks, Hanson, The Offspring, Aerosmith, everyone, <laughs> so many names, so many names, and of course the U.S. president at the time was Bill Clinton. So that is what we have for our life in 1997. Again, we've been here before, getting kind of familiar with us. Lots of uh, unfortunately popular tragic deaths occurred in 97. And so that leads us to today's focus. And today's focus is none other than Notorious B.I.G. Christopher George Latour Wallace was born on May 21st, 1972 in the Brooklyn Borough of NYC. The only child of Jamaican immigrant parents, Valletta Wallace's mother was a preschool teacher and his father, Selwyn George Latour, was a politician and welder. Selwyn left when Wallace was just two and his mother worked two jobs while raising him. Wallace excelled at Queen of All Saints Middle School, even winning several awards as an English student. He was given the nickname Big at 10 because he was overweight and he claimed to have started dealing drugs at the age of 12. He began rapping as a teenager, entertaining people on the streets. 
Wallace transferred from Bishop Laughlin Memorial High School to George Westinghouse Career and Technical Education High School in Brooklyn. His mother said that he was a good, stu a good student, but developed a smart-ass attitude when attending this school. At the age of 17, Wallace dropped out of school and became more involved in crime. By 1989, he was arrested on weapons charges in Brooklyn and sentenced to five years of probation. In 1990, he was arrested on a violation of his probation. And in 1991, Wallace was arrested in North Carolina for dealing crack cocaine and spent nine months in jail before posting bail. After his release from jail, Wallace released a demo tape, Microphone Murderer, calling himself Biggie Smalls at the time. Wallace spun the attention from the source's column, Unsigned Hype, into a recording. After hearing the tape, Sean Puffy Combs, now known as Diddy, worked with Uptown Records A&R Department and arranged to meet Wallace at this time. Later on, Wallace signs with Uptown thanks to Combs. Uptown later fires Combs, and he starts up Bad Boy Records, who instantly signs Wallace to the label. Wallace's first child, Tiana, was born in 1993. Wallace promised anything that she ever wanted to his daughter. He even changed his name to the, to the Notorious B.I.G. after Biggie Smalls had already been taken. On August 4th, 1994, Wallace married R&B singer Faith Evans, whom he met at a bad boy photo shoot. Wallace had his first pop chart success as a solo artist with a double A side, Juicy slash un Unbelievable, which reached number 27 as the lead single, which reached number 27 as the lead single on his debut record. Ready to Die was released in September 1994 and reached number 13 on the Billboard chart and eventually certified four times platinum. The album shifted attention back to East Coast hip-hop after West Coast was dominating the U.S. charts for quite a while, especially in the 90s. Big Papa hit number one on the rap charts and One More Chance sold 1.1 million copies in 1995. Those were the two big singles released by the Notorious B.I.G. off of his record Ready to Die. Wallace became friends with fellow rapper Tupac Shakur at the time. They would travel together and become really close. In August 1995, Wallace's protege group Junior Mafia released their debut album, Conspiracy. The record went gold, including its single Get Money, which featured Wallace. He was a top-selling male solo artist and rapper on the U.S. pop and rap charts. In his year of success, Wallace became involved in a rivalry between the East and West Coast hip-hop scenes, with Shakur involved as well, who is now his former friend at the time. Uh, Shakur accused Uptown Records founder Andre Harrell, Sean Combs, and Wallace of having prior knowledge of a robbery that resulted in him being shot five times, losing thousands of dollars worth of jewelry on the night of November 30th, 1994. Though Wallace and his entourage were in the same Manhattan-based recording studio at the time of the shooting, they denied the accusation. Wallace said it just happened to be a coincidence that he meaning Shakur, was in the studio. He just, he couldn't really say who really had something to do with it at the time, so he just kind of leaned the blame on me. In 2012, a man named Dexter Isaac, serving a life sentence for unrelated crimes, claimed that he attacked Shakur that night and that the robbery was orchestrated by entertainment industry executive and former, and former drug trafficker James Roseman. Following his release from prison, Shakur signed to Death Row Records on October 15, 1995. This made Bad Boy Records and Death Row business rivals, and thus intensified the quarrel, even up into uh, both of the rappers' respective deaths. Wallace began recording his second studio album in September 1995 over 18 months. 
the recording was interrupted by injury, legal disputes, and a highly publicized hip-hop dispute. During this time, Wallace also worked with pop singer Michael Jackson on the album His Story. Little C. Slayer claimed that while Wallace met Jackson, he was forced to stay behind with Wallace, citing that he did not trust Michael with kids following the 1993 child sexual abuse allegations against Jackson at the time. Engineer John Van Ness and producer Dallas Austin recalled the sessions differently, saying that Wallace was actually eager to meet Jackson and nearly burst into tears upon doing so. On March 23, 1996, Wallace was arrested outside a Manhattan nightclub for chasing and threatening to kill two fans seeking autographs, smashing the windows of their taxi cab, and punching one of them. He pleaded guilty to second-degree harassment and was sentenced to 100 hours of community service. And in mid-1996, he was arrested at his home in Teaneck, New Jersey, for drug and weapons possession charges. So at this time, the notorious B.I.G. is obviously throughout his life, his young, tragic life, is constantly in and out of the law, yet he is dominating the East Coast hip-hop scene and simply rap charts and even pop charts overall as well, especially in, in two huge years for him. He is becoming a megastar and eventually known, which we'll talk about more later, as one of the greatest rappers of all time, even though he wasn't in the scene for that long. And it shows how talented he was, and it shows, it really showed just how good he knew music and how he could work his way throughout music, throughout the music industry, both on the performer side and the business side of things. And so you, you have a lot of, a lot of crime going on without his career, and the same with Tupac, which we will eventually feature on the show as well. Um, so so this is a, a common trait, unfortunately, throughout this time, especially in New York, and if you were out in L.A. for the West Coast hip-hop scene, this was common, being involved in crime, and, and being, but also being a part of a major staple in the hip-hop scene is common. So if you watch documentaries, you watch movies and TV shows, about this time, and or if you read about it, or if you live through it, you understand these different things that are happening. It, it was common at this time to hear about it and, and to witness it and to be a part of it, especially if you were caught up in, in these scenes at this moment. And so in June 1996, Shakur released Hit Em Up, a diss track in which he claimed to have had sex with Faith Evans, who was estranged from Wallace at the time, and that Wallace had copied his style and image. Wallace referenced the first claim on Jay-Z's Brooklyn's Finest, in which he raps, If Faye have twins, she'd probably have two pox. Get it? Two pox? However, he did not directly respond to the track, stating in a 1997 radio interview that it was not his style. To respond. Shakur was unfortunately shot multiple times in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas on September 7th, 1996, and died six days later. Rumors of Wallace's involvement with Shakur's murder spread, and in a 2002 Los Angeles Times series titled Who Killed Tupac Shakur? Based on police reports and multiple sources, Chuck Phillips reported that the shooting was carried out by a Compton gang, the Southside Crips, to avenge a beating by Shakur hours earlier, and that Wallace had paid for the gun. Los Angeles Times editor Mark Duvelson wrote that Phillips' story has withstood all challenges to its accuracy and remains a definitive account of the Shakur slang. Wallace's family denied the report, producing documents purporting to show that he was in New York and New Jersey at the time. 
Evans remembered her husband calling her on the night of Shakur's death and crying from shock. She said, I think it's fair to say he was probably afraid, given everything that was going on at the time and all the hype that was put on this so-called beef that he didn't really have in his heart against anyone. Wayne Barrow, Walsh's co-manager at the time, said Walsh was recording the track Nasty Girl the night Shakur was shot. On October 29th, 1996, Evans gave birth to Walsh's son, Christopher C.J. Wallace Jr. The following month, Junior Mafia member Little Kim released her debut album, Hardcore, under Walsh's direction while the two were having a so-called love affair. Little Kim recalled being Walsh's biggest fan and his pride and joy. During the recording for his second album, Life After Death, Wallace and Lil Cease were arrested for smoking marijuana in public and had their car repossessed. Wallace chose a Chevrolet Lumina rental car as a substitute. The car had brake problems, but Wallace dismissed them. This led to the car colliding with a rail, shattering Wallace's left leg and Lil Cease's jaw. Wallace then spent months in a hospital following the accident. He was temporarily confined to a wheelchair, forced to use a cane, and had a complete therapy. Despite his hospitalization, he continued to work on the album, though, and the accident was referred to in the lyrics of Long Kiss Goodnight. Yes, still tickle me. I used to be as strong as Rippleby till Little C's crippled me, is what he said. In January 1997, Walsh was ordered to pay $41,000 in damages following an incident involving a friend of a concert promoter who claimed Walsh and his entourage beat him following a dispute in May 1995. He faced criminal assault charges for the incident, which remains unresolved, but all robbery charges were dropped. Following the events, Wallace spoke of a desire to focus on his peace of mind and his family and friends. And truly, up until this, without 19, throughout 1995 and then 1996, after everything happens with Tupac especially, he really does settle down for the most part. He's not involved in as much crime. He's really just focusing on releasing his album and his family. Unfortunately, though, then by 1997, he does pass away. Early 1997, that is. And so you get this sense of maybe he he was finally starting to change and he was starting to really develop this peace of mind and focus on this peace of mind uh, for himself, his family, and his friends. But unfortunately, he never really gets to that state. Real quick, before we get to our tragic day for the Notorious B.I.G., let's talk about the music for this week's playlist. I really, really tried to focus on some of his popular tunes and ones that really showcase his talent and the things that he was doing with music with music with hip-hop and with the East Coast hip-hop scene as well. Tried to feature some tunes that were see him collabing as well. He, he was known to collab with lots of people something that he was really good at, I should say, and so I tried to put a few tunes on here as well that he collabed with different artists such as Jay-Z, Little Kim, Method Man, Puff Daddy, and, and a few others as well. So lots of different tunes on the playlist. Juicy, Going Back to Cali, The What, Ready to Die, Another, Notorious Thugs, Who Shot Ya, Give Me the Loot, I Love the Dough, Nasty Boy, Machine Gun Funk, Hypnotize, Mo Money, Mo Problems, and Big Papa. All featured on this week's playlist, which again you can find on our Facebook page after the show has been posted. For each song, I tried to add the clean version for the playlist so that way anyone would feel comfortable and free with listening to it. So there is 
for our artist's tragic day. In February 1997, Wallace traveled to California to promote Life After Death and record a music video for its lead single, Hypnotize. He had hired a security detail since he feared for his safety, but that this was uh, due to being a celebrity figure in general, and not specifically because he was a rapper, is what Wallace claimed at the time. On March 8th, Wallace attended an after-party hosted by Vibe and Quest Records at the Peterson Automotive Museum. Guests included Faith Evans, Aaliyah Combs, and members of the Crips and Bloods gangs. The next day at 12.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, after the fire department closed the party early due to overcrowding, Wallace left with his entourage and two GMC Suburbans to return to his hotel. He traveled in the front passenger seat alongside associates Damien D. Rock Butler, Little Cease, and driver Gregory G. Money Young. Combs traveled in the other vehicle with three bodyguards. The two trucks were trailed by a Chevrolet Blazer carrying bad boy director of security, Paul Offord. By 12.45 a.m., the streets were crowded with people leaving the party. Wallace's truck stopped at a red light 50 yards from the Pearson Automotive Museum, and a black Chevy Impala pulled up alongside it. The Impala's driver, an unidentified African-American man dressed in a blue suit and bow tie, rolled down his window, drew a 9mm blue steel pistol, and fired at Wallace's car. Four bullets hit Wallace and his entourage subsequently, rushed him to Cedars Sinai Medical Center, where doctors performed an emergency thoracotomy, but unfortunately and tragically, he was pronounced dead at 1.15 a.m. He was only 24 years old. His autopsy, which was released 15 years after his death, showed that only the final shot was fatal. It entered through his right hip and struck his colon, liver, heart, and left lung before stopping in his left shoulder. 24 years young. Quite possibly one of the greatest rappers of all time. The Notorious B.I.G. Quite possibly one of the most tragic deaths that we've ever featured on the show, if not the most. Same goes for Tupac, same goes for Richie Valens, same goes for Jim Reeves, and the list goes on and on. 24 years young. Quite tragic. Even, as I mentioned earlier, even with everything that Wallace was involved in over time and that he had a hand in, a lot of people really do believe in and believed at the time that he was starting to make a change and was starting to kind of get into this new stage, this next chapter of his life. He was really trying to focus on this peace of mind and trying to focus on his friends and family at the time. A lot of people do believe that. And from what I've read about the situation, from what I know about the situation, I believe it too. I really do. And from what 1997 looked like early on for for Wallace, it looked as if a change was coming. A new B.I.G., new Biggie Smalls was approaching and was on its way. And unfortunately, that never happened. We will never know what could have happened. So again, on March 8th at 12.45 a.m., Wallace was shot, and then he was pronounced dead at 1.15 a.m. at the age of 24 years old. For his accolades, 
Wallace was considered one of the greatest rappers of all time. He was even described as the savior of East Coast hip-hop. The Source magazine named him the greatest rapper of all time in its 150th issue in 2002. In 2006, MTV ranked him at number 3 on their list of the greatest MCs of all time, calling him possibly the most skillful ever on the mic. In 2012, The Source ranked him number 3 on their list of the top 50 lyrical leaders of all time. Rolling Stone has referred to him as the greatest rapper that ever lived. In 2015, Billboard named Wallace as the greatest rapper of all time, and Wallace's lyrics have been sampled and quoted by a variety of artists, including Jay-Z, 50 Cent, Alicia Keys, Nelly, Jerul, Eminem, Lil Wayne, Michael Jackson, and even Usher. At the 2005 MTV Video Music Awards, Combs and Snoop Dogg paid tribute to Wallace by hiring an orchestra to play while the vocals from Juicy and Warning played on the arena speakers. At the 2005 VH1 Hip Hop Honors, a tribute to Wallace headlined the show. Wallace had begun to promote a clothing line called Brooklyn Mint, which was to produce plus-size clothing, but it fell dormant after he died. In 2004, his managers Mark Pitts and Wayne Barrow launched the clothing line with help from Jay-Z, selling t-shirts with images of Wallace on them. A portion of the proceeds goes to the Christopher Wallace Foundation and the Jay-Z's Sean Carter Scholarship Foundation. The Christopher Wallace Memorial Foundation holds an annual black tie dinner, also known as B.I.G. Night Out. B.I.G. Night Out. To raise funds for children's school equipment and to honor Wallace's memory. Again, Wallace is known as the greatest rapper of all time by the Rolling Stone. The source refers to him as one of the greatest to ever be on the mic, to ever hold the mic, one of the greatest MCs of all time, one of the greatest rappers of all time. And yet he had such a short career, yet he only lived 24 years of life, and he's still considered one of the best of all time. And that shows just how talented he was. It truly, all the accolades, all all the, the tributes, everything... All the artists continuing to use his lyrics and his music and, and being inspired off of that. It shows how important his music was, not only to the hip-hop scene, especially the East Coast hip-hop scene, but how important it was to music in the world overall. The Notorious B.I.G. was phenomenal with the mic. He was exceptional with lyrics and with freestyling, and he was simply just so good. When it came to music, he knew what he was doing and he knew what he was talking about. And it shows in his music. In every tune is such a bop, really. It's so good. It's filled with, with music you really might never have heard of before if Notorious B.I.G. was never a thing. And it truly shows how much of a musical genius the Notorious B.I.G. was. And so that leads into our one question segment, probably one of my favorite things about this show, is being able to, to wonder and to ponder, what would you ask the artist if you had that opportunity to talk to them once more, if you had one more chance to say, hey, how's it going, what would you ask them? Well, obviously, the obvious question is, what happened, who was it, who killed you, you know, what happened, I think that... Same thing goes for Tupac once we cover him, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks or the next month or two. But my personal question that I would ask is what gave you the inspiration to write, and what did you feel when rapping? Listening to Wallace, listening to the Notorious B.I.G., I definitely feel this. I feel that there's 
there's something there for him when he's rapping. Not only, I think, a, a desire and a love, a passion for it, but I think there's something else here. And I think it could have something to do with his home life, with his family, adult life as well. I, I think it could do, I think some of his later music could have definitely been with the whole Tupac downfall, everything going on there, especially when Tupac did pass away. There's just this continuous thing that I feel when listening to his music, and I, I'm very curious by his inspiration to write. I feel like that's something that you don't always know about some of this music, and you get a decent explanation, and especially with the Notorious B.I.G.'s music, a lot of his music was very, it was party music, having fun, grooving, maybe talking about dating and, and about the the world as a rapper and such, yet you also have music by him that really is trying to tell a story. And so I'm curious more on those tunes and that perspective and aspect of it, where exactly his inspiration came from. I think we could definitely use context clues, but if you had that opportunity to, to ask him directly, I feel why not. Um, <laughs> but uh, again, my question is, what gave you the inspiration to write, and what did you feel when rapping? So please, by all means, comment your one questions on the Facebook post with the audio on here on our Facebook page once you listen to the show, if you do so. I'd love to interact and, and to talk to you about your one question or your one thing that you would do with him. I, I, I truly love being able to hear what other people would ask if they had that opportunity to talk to the artist, to meet the artist that one last time once more. So, again, we are unfortunately no longer doing our Summer Series Facebook live streams, but we'll continue to do the bi-weekly schedule for the audio, for the podcast format that is, and that will be up every other week. So tune in two weeks from now on July 16th with our next focused artist for the show. And quick reminder to like us on Facebook at The Days That Music Died and to like us on Twitter at The Days That Music Died as well. The last two tunes on the playlist are two of my favorites by the notorious B.I.G. himself, and that's Mo Money, Mo Problems, and Big Papa, quite possibly his biggest hit of all time. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you all are well and staying safe and staying out of that muggy heat. But keep on grooving. Keep on doing your thing. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I'm your host, Caleb, and you are listening to The Days That Music Died. We'll catch you in two weeks from now on July 6th.